Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Johnny Erickson Tata is an international advocate for people with disabilities. At the age of 17, Johnny had an accident, a diving accident that left her a quadriplegic in a wheelchair without the use of her hands. After two years of rehabilitation, she emerged from that with a new sense of purpose and direction in her life, a fresh determination to help people like herself who have similar situations. The more that Johnny thought and prayed about her condition, the more convinced she became that God wanted to heal her. And so she brought together a group of friends and and church leaders and set up a private healing service. The week of the service arrived and she declared to all of her friends that they should watch for her on the doorstep because God was going to heal her. On the scheduled day, the group gathered together. They read from Scripture, James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. So the elders anointed her with oil and prayed in fervent faith. But today, 50 years later, Johnny Erickson Tata is still a quadriplegic. God did not heal her. Even though they followed the prescription in James chapter 5 to the letter of the law, God did not heal. Johnny admits to being disappointed. She admits to struggling with James chapter 5 and the teaching on healing. And so do I. So do I. I struggle with this passage for a number of reasons. The first of which is a very personal reason. I struggle with this passage because we have a 31-year-old daughter who has multiple special needs in her life. And even though we have prayed over her many times, God has chosen not to heal her yet. By the grace of God, we've embraced Jamie's limitations and we thank God for her every day. And we thank God for what she teaches us every day. But there was a time when we believed that God was going to heal her. There was no doubt in our minds that God was going to heal Jamie. Miraculously. But so far he has chosen not to. And from time to time... Can I tell you, I've struggled with that. Next, my my struggle is fueled by a lack of consensus among good, solid Bible theologians and teachers of the Scripture. There's just a lack of consensus on this passage and what it means and how it applies to us today. Now, it may shock you to know that some Christians disagree on verses of Scripture. (laughs) But they do. 
Some declare that gifts of healing and miracles ceased at the end of the apostolic age. I don't believe that. Others declare that God works only through medicine now. The only way that God heals now is through uh, medicine and medical procedures. I don't believe that either. A few preachers boldly proclaim that if you have the right quantity of faith or the right quality of faith or you send in the right amount of money to their ministry, then God will heal every time you pray. I always wonder what amount that's supposed to be, but I guess that's irrelevant because I don't believe that either. So you see, there, there really is very little consensus. And I'm not trying to make light of that. that. That's a serious issue for a lot of people. Why can't these Bible scholars agree? Thirdly, my, my struggle is nourished by my own natural limitations. I believe in divine healing. Don't, don't get me wrong. And as we unfold this passage, you'll, you'll see. But I know people who have been supernaturally healed by God. There can be no other explanation. So I believe it. I believe that God supersedes the physical realm from time to time. He does. But I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. I have limitations just because I'm, I'm flesh and blood. I, I'm, I'm still in this body. I don't know everything. I don't have all the answers. For heaven's sake, I don't even know what all the questions are. I don't know why God heals some and not others. I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. My understanding is limited and restricted and confined. And many times all I can do is bow down before the majesty in heaven and say, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I'm okay with that. I I don't need to know everything. However, in spite of our limited comprehension, there are some foundational facts that we glean from Scripture. Foundational fact number one, sometimes there is a direct relationship between sickness and sin. Sometimes the the sickness, the the illness, the the trials, the difficulties, the afflictions that people have are a direct result of sin. One example of this can be found in Psalm 32, which is written on the occasion uh, after David had committed uh, adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, When I kept silent, when I kept silent about my sin with Bathsheba, uh, the sin of adultery, he says, My bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as in the heat of summer. So he's, he's trying to express with, with human language the affliction of his body. Why? Because of his adultery with Bathsheba. God was bringing judgment upon him. So physical suffering followed David's sin. So sometimes sin causes suffering and sickness and disease. Sometimes it does. And in that case, that that sin needs to be confessed. We need to make things right with God. And thankfully David did, right? Nathan the prophet came to him and said, You're the man. You're, you're, You're the guy who's stealing somebody else's sheep. You're the one. And he repented of his sin and began to walk with God again. 
So much so that he's described as a man after God's own heart. Foundational fact number two. Sometimes there's no relationship between suffering and sin. You look at a passage like John chapter 9, for example, where it says that Jesus was passing by. He saw a blind man from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. See? There's no sin. Suffering, but no sin. Trauma, but no transgression. So in, in, in some cases, many I suspect, there is no direct relationship to sin. It's, it's for another reason. And in John chapter 9, Jesus said it was because the works of God needed to be displayed in this man. See, God had a much higher purpose and a greater purpose in store for this man's suffering. Sometimes we can't see that. Another foundational fact. It's not God's will to heal everyone who prays for healing. It is not God's will for everyone to be healed who prays for healing. There's lots of biblical evidence to this. I think I've given some of it on, on your notes, right? You've got some there. Uh, Paul had the gift of healing, yet he left Trophimus sick in Miletus. I suspect Troph Trophimus wanted to be rid of his illness, his sickness. He may have prayed for healing. We don't know that, but you know, why didn't Paul, if Paul had the gift of healing, why didn't he make sure that one of his disciples was healed? Epaphroditus almost died while ministering to Paul. Philippians chapter 2. Timothy, Paul's spiritual son, had a stomach problem and frequent illnesses, right? What did he prescribe? Take a little wine for your stomach. Something us evangelicals don't like to talk about from the front. Take a little wine for your stomach, Timothy. Calm things down. He had frequent illnesses with his stomach, and yet... I mean, he's, he's Paul's right-hand man. If anybody should have received healing, it would have been Timothy. Another place, Paul asks God three times to take away this thorn of the flesh, right? Three times he seeks the Lord for healing. God finally says to him, those famous words, My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, I'm not going to bring healing. You need to live with this malady. You need to live with this messenger of sin. You need to live with this, Paul, so that my grace can be manifested in your life. So it's not God's will to heal everybody who prays for healing every time. I think there's probably some TV preachers who would disagree with me. But that's okay. This is what the Bible says. And we need to stick close to that. So all of that, I guess, begs the question, how then should we apply James chapter 5 in our church? What do we do with this, this teaching in James chapter 5? 
Do we just, we've been preaching through James and now we come to James, we just forget about that last paragraph in the book? We just end with uh, the first six or seven verses of James 5 and say, we're good, we're done? Go to verse 12 and skip over the rest? No. We need to understand what this passage is saying and we need to obey the Word of God and we need to apply God's Word to our lives. So we read James 5.14 again. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So this is the divine prescription for sickness in the church. And I understand this to be physical illness or emotional affliction. You'll see that in a a moment as I refer to some other scripture. But it's more than just physical illness. It might be emotional. It might be psychological. There might be some other kind of suffering going on here. And this passage contains clear and specific direction both to the sick and to the elders of the church. First of all, the one who's sick should take the initiative and summon the elders of the church. So the onus is upon the sick person or the sick person's family to contact the elders of the church. I mean, we don't expect elders to walk the halls of the local hospitals looking for people who want to be anointed and prayed for. The the, the onus is not upon the church leadership or the elders or spiritual leaders in an assembly to look for people who are sick and suggest anointing and prayer. The onus is upon the sick person. And that's why we need to teach this passage. That's why we need to to help people understand what this passage is about and how it can be applied in our lives and, and the need, the great need there is to believe God and trust Him. And not immediately and firstly run to the doctor every time we've got a (coughs) cough or a cold or whatever the case may be. Let's go to God. James clearly places the responsibility for initiating the anointing and prayer on the sick person, not the church membership. Years and years and years ago, we had somebody who had missed church for about six weeks. Apparently there was, uh, you know, an illness and... uh, this lady came back to church after six weeks and I said, Oh, Gertrude, not her real name, so good to see you again. She said, Well, you know, I've missed for six weeks. Oh, uh, yes, well, I did notice that you weren't here. And nobody called me. Didn't you know I was sick? I'm thinking to myself, How in the world am I supposed to know you were sick? You know, there's a Five or six hundred people in the church and you're expecting me to know? Did you, I said, did you tell anybody you were sick? No. <laughs> I just thought you would come. For heaven's sake, folks, that's an unrealistic expectation. The onus is clearly in Scripture on the person who, is, who has the illness to initiate this. Next, the elders are to carry out two functions. They are to pray and they are to anoint. Pray over the sick and anoint the sick with oil in the name of the Lord. In the Bible, anointing with oil frequently symbolizes consecration. A setting apart of the person that is prayed for or anointed. So the New Testament elders, as they prayed, they would anoint the sick person to indicate that that person was being set apart in that moment for a special work of God. 
Trusting that God would do a special work now in this anointing as we're consecrating this person for prayer. Also in this respect, the oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. When you look back at the Old Testament as well as the New, you find several instances where oil represents the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So really, when, we're, when we pray over someone, we anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We are setting them apart for God's special service with an indicator that it's the Holy Spirit of God who's going to do this work. Not a pastor, not an elder, not a spiritual leader. It's God who does this work. So first, the one who's sick takes the initiative, summons the elders of the church. Secondly, the elders carry out this function of anointing and prayer. And thirdly, I think James implies that the sick must leave the results in God's hands. The elders were to anoint and pray over the sick in the name of the Lord, invoking the power and presence of God in that moment. We're saying, Lord, we're praying, but if you don't show up and if you don't do what only you can do, then this is for nothing. We're praying in the name of the Lord. And when everything is said and done, we, we come to that place where we say, Lord, but not my will be done, but your will be done for your glory and for our good, for the good of the church. And you know, even then, even though I... I put my trust in the Word of God and even though I follow James 5.14 you know, to the letter of the law doing exactly what it says in, in the exact order that James 5.14 says God still may choose not to heal me. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that too. Are you? I mean, the, the need is desperate. The desire is there. I want so badly for God to do what only God can do, but in the end, He may choose not to heal me or my daughter in the way that I think He should or the way that I hope to. Maybe He has some higher purpose, some greater purpose in mind. But I trust Him. We just sang those words. Lord, I trust You. Lord, I trust You. Do you have faith in Jesus? Someone has suggested a good acrostic for the word faith. Forsaking all, I trust Him. Faith. I trust Him. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you may want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13 for just a moment. Paul declares that our knowledge is limited. He says we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And then 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, For now, in the present, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now... I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. So, you know, we do the best we can to understand the Scripture and the ways of God. We do the very best we can to get at the, the heart and the meaning of the Word of God. But sometimes the best we can hope for is to know part of the truth. 
We see only a reflection as in a mirror. Sometimes we can hope to know part of the truth, but someday we'll know all there is to know about healing. Someday. Now, then. Now, then. We are people who live in two worlds. The now and the not yet. We have one foot solidly planted in this terra firma, on this earth in which we live. We have one foot in heaven. Now and then. And that's what Paul's getting at. Now we, we see only, we see dimly. We don't have all the expertise. We don't have all the understanding and all the wisdom that we will have then. Then we will know fully, for we shall be fully known. But for now, we have to put up with knowing less. But when we see Jesus, when we see Jesus, we shall know fully, for we shall be fully known. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So for now, for now, we here at the gathering follow what we know is right to do. Sounds a bit like being a parent, doesn't it? You, know? you, you do what you know is right to do. You keep teaching your kids to do it this way and hope that someday they'll do it that way. So we keep doing what we know is right to do. We keep on doing it and doing it. It, It's right. We know that it's right for sick people to call upon the elders of the church. James 5 says so. It's right to confess our sins and make sure that our hearts are right with God. The Bible says so. It's right for the elders to pray and anoint. The Bible says so. It's right for people to trust God and obey God According to James chapter 5, the Bible says so. And it's right to leave the results in the hands of God. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible says so. And so we just keep doing this. Do do we stop anointing people and praying for people to be healed just because the senior pastor is a little bit disappointed in his own experience? Not for a minute. Why? Because the Bible says so. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm a, I'm a pretty simple guy. You wouldn't think so with all the money I've spent on education, but I'm a pretty simple guy. And I look at a verse like Hebrews 13:8, and I... Duh, I just believe it. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? It means that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It means what it says. And so, I say, okay, Jesus, this is what you did back in Matthew chapter 4. His fame spread throughout all Syria and they brought to Jesus all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, you see, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and He healed them. Well, 
Jesus is the same. I go to a passage like Matthew chapter 9. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him, touched the fringe of his garment. Instantly, she was made well. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if He healed people back then, can He heal people today? Absolutely He can. And He does. He does. He does. 